0: Welcome everyone to Krypton to Alderaan. This episode, I'm talking with Dr. Kate Hartman. Dr. Hartman is a professor of Asian religions at the University of Wyoming, and her studies and teachings stem from an interest in religion as an influential force, which is why today we're talking all about the influence of Buddhism and other Asian religions on, you guessed it, Star Wars. So stay tuned for this special edition of Krypton to Alderaan. to Alderon, Thank you. How are you doing today?
1: I am doing great. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. I'm really excited to have this conversation.
0: Awesome. Me too. Listeners, I hope you're excited to hear it. So can you introduce yourself a little bit, Kate?
1: Sure. So as you were saying in the introduction, my name is Kate Hartman. I am assistant professor of religious studies here at the University of Wyoming. I teach Asian religions generally, but specialize in Buddhism. I'm also the director of Buddhist Studies Online, an online educational platform, teaching short online courses on the history, philosophy, and practices of Buddhism. And my pronouns are she, her.
0: Great. Thank you so much. All right. So right out of the gate, let's start off with a Star Wars hook here. Are you a Star Wars fan?
1: I would say that I am a Star Wars fan, although when I talk to actual Star Wars fans, I feel like not a legit (laughs) enough fan. But compared to your sort of average person on the street, I'm probably more into Star Wars than they are. Mm -hmm. Certainly, I have really fond childhood memories of watching Star Wars to this day. Probably 70% of my text messages with my brother are Star Wars memes of some variety or other. And Star Wars movies are some of the few movies that I will get excited for and go to the
0: theater. Awesome. So you say you have childhood memories. So when did you get introduced into Star Wars? Like, what was that whole experience like?
1: I actually have this strong memory of being probably in, like, the first grade at a New Year's Eve party at one of my friend's parents' houses. And we were really excited because we were going to be allowed to stay up till midnight. You know, that sounds great, but as a kid, at eight o'clock, you're tired. And so <laughs> we were just watching Star Wars films. And that was the first time I ever remember seeing them. I had remembered hearing about Star Wars, but hadn't ever seen them. And remember seeing them on New Year's Eve. Probably, that must have been like 96 or 97 or something like that.
0: Wow. Right when the special editions of the original trilogy were being released. Mm. So very timely. Very cool. So, a little bit more of an introduction. I'm going to introduce our (laughs) history together, Kate. So, when you and I first met, we began speaking, and I think you at first, you were the first one to be like, I have a podcast. And then I was like, no way, I have a podcast. And so, obviously, a friendship (laughs) was born. But then, as we continued to speak, then you brought up Star Wars and the influence of Buddhism in Star Wars, which maybe other people know were new but I have I had no idea until you brought it up it was all new to me and on top of that you said that you showed clips of Star Wars or maybe a clip of Star Wars in the classroom in your Buddhism class and then I immediately signed up for your class right then and there on the spot I handed you a lot of yes. money just kidding but it really piqued my interest like the first day we met we decided to do this podcast episode which I think is great. Can you give us a little, or maybe not even a little, let's just go, I'll stop talking and you do all the talking and just tell us about Buddhism's influence on Star Wars.
1: Yeah, so I started studying Buddhism as an undergraduate. One of my primary references for understanding Buddhism was Star Wars. You know, Just like every sort of American kid of my age or even the generation sooner, Star Wars was just sort of baked into my cultural education growing up. When I was trying to understand this new religious tradition that I had never sort of seen or experienced before, the things that I had at hand were Star Wars ideas a lot of the time, about suffering, about the light and dark side, about the force, mm. about discipline and the need to manage anger. And so, I eventually started studying Buddhism as an undergraduate in a religious studies sense. So, focusing really on the kind of history and philosophy of it, not necessarily studying how to practice or how to personally attain awakening. And I eventually continued to grad school. I got my PhD in Buddhist studies. And throughout your education, you're both doing this research project that you have to sort of conduct original research, essentially write a book about something that no one has ever researched before. But then also a large part of your education is teaching. And just based on my own experience of using pop culture generally and Star Wars in particular to understand Buddhism, that was something that I found to be really helpful in helping my students understand. And so to this day, when I'm teaching students about Buddhism, again, this thing that is pretty unfamiliar to a lot of them, especially I'm teaching here at the University of Wyoming. (laughs) My students largely come from a white, rural, Christian-y, or non-religious background. Sure. You want to help them get a bridge to whatever it is that they're learning. And so Star Wars provides one A kind of fun thing. People aren't as intimidated by it. Sometimes when you're studying a foreign religious tradition, you're just scared or feel like you can't get your hands into it. And because students grew up watching and debating and interacting with Star Wars, it's really helpful to get them into that. And so one of the particular things that I show regularly in my classes is Yoda's quote to Luke about how fear kind of leads to the dark side. And so he has this quote of, you know, fear leads to anger leads to hatred, leads to suffering, leads to the dark side. And this is really similar to the Buddhist account of how suffering arises. Mm. The Buddhist account is slightly different. Buddhists would say that primal ignorance, fundamental delusion about the nature of reality, leads to hatred and greed, which can lead to negative actions, which can lead to suffering, which just leads you to be trapped in this perpetual cycle of suffering and not living your best life. Mm. And so showing that clip kind of helps students get their hands into the Buddhist materials that we then explore.
0: Right. That's really interesting that you can pick points or scenes or lines of dialogue like that and relate it to some Buddhist teaching. Do you know if George Lucas was influenced by Buddhism when he was creating Star Wars?
1: Yeah. So when George Lucas first set out to write Star Wars, he really had this mission of trying to distill the essence of all the world's religions and mythologies to create one sort of universal mythos for the Star Wars universe. Hmm. And in that effort, he actually read books by this scholar of religious studies, the scholar of world mythology named Joseph Campbell. And Joseph Campbell wrote a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. The idea is like, Okay, so you have one hero, he has a thousand different forms, those are the different faces, but ultimately it's the same heroic journey in each of these world myths. And so he really thought that there was a universal story structure that occurred basically in all religions and mythologies, and he called that the monomyth, the singular myth. And typical aspects of that hero's journey involve some sort of unlikely protagonist being called to adventure, descends into chaos and doubt, He experiences a revelation. He transforms to meet the needs of the moment, emerges from this chaos with new wisdom to share with the community. And Joseph Campbell pointed out that this same sort of plot line occurs over and over again in world myths, in movies these days. And so Lucas saw that and wanted to kind of reverse engineer what would be this really stirring myth in the context of a world influenced by Japanese samurai movies and American Westerns and all of that. And because he was reading Campbell, who himself was including aspects of different world mythologies, that was how George Lucas kind of got bits and pieces from all of these different things. And so my primary specialization is Buddhism, but by virtue of the fact that I teach Asian religions, I'm also teaching Taoism and Shinto. And you can pull out Star Wars clips that help teach those religious traditions as well, because George Lucas was getting kind of all of this all at once and using it to put together his own version of this hero's journey.
0: Yeah, the hero's journey, that's something that we hear a lot about. Joseph Campbell, the hero's journey, the idea of that stems from his research and his writings.
1: Yeah, and Joseph Campbell, you know, this is for the religious studies nerds out there. Joseph Campbell was really influenced by this scholar named Mircea Eliade. He was a scholar at the University of Chicago, where I actually studied. And this period of scholarship was really influenced by trying to take all the diversity of world religions and figure out what was kind of universal in all of them. What were the universal human themes? You know, for what it's worth, this style of scholarship is actually really criticized now. It's it's not very popular these days. These days, people want to recognize that individual instances of mythology or religion are so shaped by local context that if you're trying to make all of them fit one sort of general universal mold, you're, you're stripping out all of the kind of unique details that make them what they are. However, during this period of scholarship that Lucas is kind of drawing from, there was this attempt to understand the universal structures of human experience and the ways that stories shape that human experience. One of the things that I read early on in my religious studies career that motivated me was another Joseph Campbell book called The Power of Myth, and it talks about how myths can kind of shape your outlook on life. I totally recommend it to anyone who's listening. It's really not an intimidating scholarly work. and so. Scholars of religion are often, you know, sometimes trying to build up this one big picture of human nature, human experience. And then there's often these moments of trying to deconstruct and localize and figure out how different things are different. You want both to some extent, but Lucas is particularly influenced by this idea that there's one heroic journey that resonates with everyone.
0: Right. The light side versus the dark side kind of thing. Mm. So I'm going to put some links to stuff that you bring up in the show notes because, well, I think The Power of Myth is you. Is that the name of the book? The Power of Myth?
1: Yes. The Power of Myth And then Hero with a Thousand Faces is the one that George Lucas was particularly influenced by.
0: Gotcha. Well, it seems like the power of myth sounds like it would be a very accessible thing to any fandom. But specifically what we're talking about, the Star Wars fandom, and not only understanding how mythology works, but better understanding the mythology of Star Wars.
1: Mm -hmm. And how watching Star Wars was meant to make the viewer feel, right? Right. In some sense, we think of movies or entertainment as just sort of existing on the screen and you have like two fun hours, then you go home. But I think part of what attracts people to the Star Wars fandom is that you get ideas that continue to resonate or affect you after you leave the theater. So reading the influences on George Lucas about how myths affect people, to me, adds this like whole other layer. You know, you can try to think about like, okay, what is this movie, what is this universe kind of claiming about reality? What does that mean for how I should live my life?
0: (laughs) Yeah. How does the movie inspire you? How do the stories or characters or the hero's journey inspire you? That's all very important. And it touches on something we feel very strongly about here at Krypton to Alderaan, which is the incredible gatekeeping that goes on in Star Wars fandom. If everyone could just understand that like you can be a fan of a thing, you can be just a fan of Star Wars and enjoy it. Enjoy it for why you enjoy it, and others don't have to enjoy it for the same reason you enjoy it. And if you don't enjoy it, that's fine. But if other people enjoy it, that's also fine because you're going and you're experiencing it. And it is two fun hours, but it also means so much to so many in so many different ways and you can leave the theater and continue to Mm -hmm. feel that way.
1: Yeah, and what what I also love about Star Wars is that it's so debatable. So I love Star Wars, but I'm also highly aware of what I perceive to be the flaws in the Star Wars universe. You know, we don't need to talk about you know, the, the whole prequels. And there's certain choices where you're like, I don't know, like what they did there, but like, here's how I would have done it. The sort of fundamental universe created is so strong that you can disagree with individual choices or individual movies or individual characters and still be you know so wrapped up in the universe.
0: Yeah. And the conversation that you and I are having today, I think is really interesting because I love learning about Star Wars and how it was created and what the influences are. I think it's important for others to maybe understand those influences and it it gives more of an appreciation to how it was made and why it was made and what influenced it. And I think that all elevates the appreciation we can have for the thing, even if there's some of it we don't like. Mm -hmm. Either way, it was this story influenced by this stuff, told by this person, and that in itself deserves respect whether or not someone enjoyed it.
1: Mm Well, I was really, uh, realizing I hadn't fully answered your previous question. So we've talked about generally <laughs> that there is influence, and yet I haven't talked so much about the specific sort of ideas that are coming through, and maybe folks who aren't as familiar with Taoism or Buddhism would enjoy. So some of the particular ideas that really you know stand out, and that Star Wars fans n- might not be aware of, the influence from Asian religions in particular. So one is the whole concept of the Force, and the Force is this sort of power that flows throughout the universe. It has a kind of natural order to it. Some folks are better able to harness it and use it to their advantage, And this idea comes largely out of, I would suggest, Taoism. Taoism has this notion of the Tao. Tao literally means path. can mean the way. can mean flow. And the Tao is something that's really hard to understand in literal terms. It's never fully defined. It's usually described through metaphor, which those of you who have tried to explain the force to people may have resorted to some of these same metaphors. The Tao is often likened to a river kind of flowing downhill. It has kind of a natural flow. If it encounters an obstacle, it goes around. Around it. It's not beating down every obstacle. It has this kind of natural kind of force and energy to it. And so, Tao is understood to be the basic kind of structure of the universe in a Taoist framework. And individuals are encouraged to get themselves in accordance with the Tao. So, don't be like the skier who's trying to ski uphill. Go with the flow of the mountain and ski downhill using the kind of natural structure of the universe. And I think that this idea has a lot to do with the force. And in particular, the way that you get get yourself in accord with the Tao is this idea of wu-wei, of non-action, of effortless action. The perspective of Taoism is that most of the time we humans are kind of using our human ideas and conceptuality to impose our desires on the world. Hmm. We use kind of our human reactiveness, our human conceptuality, our human intention to try to make the world the way we want it to be. But as Taoism points out, the Tao, the natural world, is so much more powerful than human intention. And so if you're trying to make the world into what you want it to be, you're wasting a lot of time and effort and you're also gonna lose. This is just not going to be effective. A better way to be in the universe is to recognize the way the Tao naturally wants to flow and get yourself in accord with that. And once you are acting in concert with the Tao, you are doing things, but you're not effortfully trying to do things. So the quote here, you know, is the classic Yoda do or do not, there is no try. Mm. If you are acting in concert with the sort of natural flow of the universe, it's not as though your intention is governing your actions. You are letting the natural forces of the universe flow through
0: you. Okay, I just want to, this is a very important moment in Star Wars because this is a line, you just blew my mind. This is a line that everyone talks about so much and everyone is so hard on this line because on its face, value, it doesn't make much sense. It's like the line in Star Wars that's contested so much. So just that you're bringing this meaning to it, that it actually makes sense in terms of not only like the influence of these religions, but in the context of the story, it actually means something is so incredibly important. That's such an amazing part of this conversation. You just like opened my eyes to something that's just criticized so much in Star Wars.
1: This is like the reason that I love teaching and studying religions generally, just like having fun conversations. And yeah, this idea always blows my students' minds. I can make it even more intuitive with a couple of examples. So one, the example of the skier going down the mountain. I'm not a very good skier. When I ski, I take a couple runs and I am exhausted. And that's because Mm -hmm. I'm stiff. I'm trying to turn where I want to turn. I'm not following the natural kind of contours of the mountain. And, you know, I grew up skiing in Vermont and Maine. And one of the the great things about skiing in Vermont and Maine is that you'll be there as like a 15-year-old, physically fit, prime, exhausted from skiing. And then zooming down the mountain next to you will be these 80 or 90-year-olds who can ski all day. They're exerting no effort. They are just so... at it. They're so relaxed that they are exerting no effort. We're both going down the mountain and yet I'm exhausted. They can do it all day. How do you get to be good at skiing? Part of what was my problem was that I was afraid. Again, Yoda's claim that fear leads doesn't exactly track with skiing there, but the importance of fear, that I'm tense and that I'm trying to exert effort. Whereas the folks who are so used to it are able to effortlessly do more than I can do with all of my human effort. And so then the question is, well, so how do you do what you want to do, but without effort? How do you cultivate spontaneous, successful action. And we can say that actually this, again, is drawn from Chinese religions. So in both Taoism and Confucianism, the goal is this kind of spontaneous ethical action that you're not saying, what's the right thing to do here? Let me rationally reason it out. I'm gonna try to do the right thing. No, if you're a successful Taoist or Confucian, you don't have to try to do the right thing. You naturally just want to and automatically do the right thing. But how do you get to the point where you don't have to exert effort? When Yoda tells Luke this on Dago, but he's doing this incredibly difficult training, right? It's not don't try at all or don't exert any effort. It's a question of how do you exert effort to get to the point where you don't have to exert effort? Right. An example here is like playing soccer or basketball. If you are in a soccer game and you think to yourself, oh, how am I going to shoot this shot or how am I going to make this pass? It's not going to go well. You're overthinking it. Similarly, if you sit on the field, and I tell you, well, just shoot the shot. It's not going to go well. Or if I sit you down on the field and I explain to you all the rules of soccer and how you should do, and here's the specific technique, it's not going to go well. What you have to do is in practice, like train at sort of thing. You do drills, you practice passing the ball with your teammates, you practice shooting the ball. And with all of those drills, the hope is that in the actual meaningful event, the game, you'll do it automatically without having to think about it. The question yet is, is how do you get to that state where you can be in the important moment, not thinking just doing automatically without effort.
0: Such a criticized moment in Star Wars. And it's even criticized in other Star Wars, like in the animated show Star Wars Rebels. Kanan, who's the Jedi teacher, is trying to teach Ezra, the Padawan, the same lessons. And Kanan says something like, Master Yoda always used to say, do or do not, there is no try. And Ezra's like, what does that mean? And Kanan's like, I have no idea. So it's even criticized within Star Wars. So you just brought it all together. That's so incredible. I'm so happy we did that. We're breaking ground on Krypton to Alderaan. Anyone listening, go sign up for Kate's course. Kate, start a a Star Wars in religion or religion in Star Wars course. Oh,
1: no. Well, I am in the process of proposing a Star Wars and religion class here at the University of Wyoming.
0: Amazing. A lot of the stuff that I want to get into, you're talking and I'm thinking of all of these aspects of Star Wars, from the original trilogy to what's going on now to what I'm reading now, which is the High Republic Star Wars, which takes place hundreds of years before the prequel trilogy. And it feels like the evolution of these concepts, from George Lucas learning about them to write the original trilogy to now, the evolution has become so much more part of it and, and so well managed that it feels like the High Republic stuff has such a great grasp on everything you were just discussing. So it's not only interesting to me that George Lucas was influenced by these religions when creating the original trilogy and prequel trilogy, but that those influences have continued to be inherently part of Star Wars and even expanded on. I wonder if it all stems from George Lucas laying the groundwork or if the creators were so inspired that they have done more research and applied more of these influences on their own. So for example, example, we've discussed it briefly and you're not familiar with The Mandalorian, correct?
1: I have not watched The Mandalorian.
0: So, The Mandalorian is fantastic, highly recommend, but it's so Western, like it takes from so much of the Western influences of Star Wars. But from what you just described, there's so much of these Buddhism, or actually specifically what you described as Taoism. Because the first thing you said about Taoism is the way. And that's the whole thing about The Mandalorian, like his clan's mantra is this is the way. It feels very much like that influence is very well ingrained in all of Star Wars and continues to be tapped as an as influential resource.
1: Yeah, and I think part of what I like about why Star Wars is a good entry point to religion has something to do with one of the things you said earlier that within the Star Wars universe, they criticize that do or do not, there is no try. That there's actually diversity within the Star Wars universe. It's not that everyone agrees about what the force is. Right. It's not that everyone has the same theory about how you live in accord with the force or what you should do about it to me i think that speaks to the fact that even within you know a, a religious tradition you have a lot of diversity and disagreements and people sort of disagreeing with each other about what it means and that's how the star wars universe has i think continued to make this rich even as new creators new authors come in and each of them has their own take on it maybe they mm-hmm. were sort of originally inspired by some of the ideas that George Lucas brought in, but they've got their own kind of spin on it. Continues to add to the richness without making it feel just like flat, you know? Right. If everyone agreed about what the force was or where it came from or blah, 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 you know, it takes away some of the mystery and some of the possibility of it. Sure. We had talked the other day about The Last Jedi, and part of what made that movie satisfying for me was that, again, it, it represented kind of a fresh take on the Force, where we see Luke criticizing the Jedi and criticizing the kind of good versus evil, light side versus dark side form that a lot of the movies kind of fell into. And so it felt like this, you know, fresh perspective that is still felt within the same universe.
0: Right. Yeah. You're making me think about all kinds of stuff that I guess I never just connected. Obviously, like the meditation aspect is very like when you think of meditation, you think of Eastern religions or Asian religions. And actually on the floor of the cave in The Last Jedi, there is a a sort of yin yang esque symbol. I never critically considered this stuff. You know, for me at that point, I guess when I see like the yin yang symbol on the floor of the cave, I just think Star Wars is all about the light side and the dark side. And I never really connected it backwards to where's the influence coming from. And a big thing that I talk about a lot on this podcast is tracing back the why, which I guess I should have said this up front. I'm not a religious person at all. And if I'm watching something where there's overtly a religious undertone or context, I am turned off by it most of the time. So having this insight into these influences in my religion of Star Wars. Like I eat, sleep and breathe Star Wars. So having these uh, influences is really interesting and incredible to me. And so, so going back to what I was saying, I love tracing back the why I love finding these influences and it really enhances my experience.
1: And it does reflect how Star Wars is sort of taken in the modern world. You see, you know, continued interest in mythoses, like mythologies, like the Star Wars mythology, where even if people perhaps are more skeptical of organized religion these days, they are interested in searching for sources of meaning, ways of understanding your place in the universe. And insofar as Star Wars does engage these kind of deep ideas, I think it's part of why it is really resonant for a lot of people. A kind of touchstone in a lot of religious studies contexts these days is, um, you know, you might be done with religion, but religion's not done with you. <laughs> <laughs> that... <laughs> There's kind of deep structures to human experience of, you know, how we form communities, how we make meaning of the world that religion kind of explores and taps into, and that thinking that we can just be done with those and move into this secular universe, I think doesn't necessarily reflect that continued need for meaning and ways of interpreting one's place in the universe.
0: So we had been talking a little bit about the force and the concept of the force and obviously all of these influences and meditation. And so in Star Wars, obviously, meditation is huge as far as connecting the Jedi to the force. So can we talk about where that came from, where those ideas might have been influenced from?
1: Yeah. And this is where the the kind of Buddhism part comes in, because, you know, I'm a specialist in Buddhism, hitherto this moment, I've talked largely about daoism but you know as indicated by that image on the cave floor where you have the the jedi seated in lotus position and there's the kind of the dark and the light with the little sort of dots of the opposite thing so it looks like someone meditating right at the center of a yin yang and i think that really does speak to the sort of star wars universe's philosophy of how you get in contact with the force and which is to say that the jedi are all about being able to calm your emotions to tap into this and this connects with a a Buddhist idea, which also later sort of got introduced into Taoism, that oftentimes what prevents us from connecting with the world as it actually is, is our sort of conceptual minds and our sort of emotional lives that cloud our judgment. On a Buddhist understanding, the mind is kind of like a muddy pool. Oftentimes, we are struck by anxious thoughts, by swirling emotions, by all sorts of cloudy judgment. And when your mind is this muddy pool, you can't really think with it. And when you're not able to think clearly, you're not able to see clearly, and you end up just being reactive. So something happens to you, you react back. And usually when you're working out of your reactive lizard mind, that's not a great place to be. So in order to be able to see the world clearly, you need to clear the mind. There's sort of a two-step process here. If you have this muddy pool of water, you need to just get still. And that'll allow the kind of sediment to float to the bottom. The water's no longer muddy. The water is clear. And that is sort of calming meditation. In Buddhism, shamatha meditation. And then once you have this clear mind, you want to develop the capacity to see reality as it really is. This is insight meditation or vipassana in a Buddhist understanding. So all of this speaks to the need to if you want to see reality clearly, you need to calm your mind. And so techniques of breathing, techniques of calming and focusing the mind are developed in Buddhism as a way to achieve this ability to see clearly. And one example from the Star Wars universe is that, again, in The Last Jedi, Luke is having Rey meditate and get your mind clear and saying, then what do you see? And that's when she can see the kind of Plants, life going to death, this sort of circle of life stuff that she is able to see. You know, very quickly, of course, because Ray is perfect. And
0: <laughs> Agreed.
1: Up until that moment, she has been so defined by this goal of we gotta get Luke to go to the place, to do the thing, to solve the problem. And in some sense, Luke is telling her, step back. You're so focused on this one little thing, step back, see how the entire universe is functioning. And you can only do that when you calm your mind, when you're able to step back in that way. And then once she can kind of understand the workings of the force from this perspective, then she can kind of begin this next stage of her training. Buddhism develops techniques of calming the mind and focusing the mind so as to see reality more clearly. That is, I think, a clear influence on the Jedi Order.
0: Yeah, I think that that's that's all of it. That's the whole thing. The Jedi being able to have that clarity to connect to the Force is the baseline of Star Wars. It also makes me think of the scene in the prequels with Qui-Gon Jinn and Darth Maul. Mm -hmm. Qui-Gon takes the time to sit and meditate and clear his mind, unmuddy his mind so he can connect to the Force so that he can continue this fight.
1: Yeah, and like meanwhile, they're separated by these Force doors or whatever. Qui-Gon is sitting quietly meditating and Maul is just like a rangy tiger sort of pacing back and (laughs) forth, you know. You can imagine in his mind, he's just getting angrier and angrier and trying to harness this power. Yeah. Whereas Qui-Gon clearly doesn't want to think of battle as separate than any other of his activities. You need to bring the same kind of balance of mind to battle as you would to meditation, as you would to any other aspect of life. And I think Qui-Gon is one of the people who exemplifies, perhaps more than anyone else in the series, the kind of standard Jedi, the classical Jedi view of detachment.
0: Yes. I think a lot of people would say that Qui-Gon is one of the best Jedis, Because of those reasons, and because his connection to the Force and his connection to being a Jedi, especially in that era, seemed to separate him so much from the rest of the Jedi, like the Council. In the prequels, it gets different in the Clone Wars animated show. But we really only see Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, Anakin, and the Jedi Council. And the Jedi Council, at that point, they're so different. They're much different Jedi than what Qui-Gon Jinn is being As you pointed out, he just exemplifies those traits. Like maybe his influence, there's so much more of the classical Buddhism influence in Qui-Gon than there is in the rest of the Jedi that we see in those.
1: Yeah, you see him as kind of wanting to be this kind of lone figure off on his own. He cultivates detachment. He never experiences sort of strong emotion. What's interesting about that for me is that a division within Buddhism or a different way to understand this 2,500-year-old religion over most of Asia, lots of different interpretations. And you almost see Qui-Gon embodying this kind of early Buddhist picture Whereas in the middle of a fight with Darth Maul, compare him to the much later fight in Return of the Jedi of Luke with Vader.
0: Okay, I love this. Keep going.
1: (laughs) So if Qui-Gon's all about this detachment Detachment is what gives him his kind of stability and power. But Luke actually doesn't do that. By virtue of the fact that he started his training late, just by virtue of the fact that he's got kind of strong emotions, he leaves Dagobah against Yoda's advice. He thinks that he can save his father. He is not detached in a large way, or he's not fully detached. We might talk about how this represents a different kind of detachment. But he is still motivated by, I would say, care and compassion for his father, which, you know, how do you get detachment and care and compassion to sit well together? How do you balance those? And Luke arguably puts himself in the entire universe in danger by wanting to save his father. But also it is that care and compassion that ultimately saves Anakin and gets him to come back and kill Emperor Palpatine and, you know, return balance to the force. And so Luke represents not that total model of detachment that Qui-Gon Jinn is. So you try to maintain this sort of stable emotional state, but you are motivated by love and care
0: and compassion. Right. I think that negatively impacts Luke's story a lot. But again, if we're talking about this as a spectrum, maybe over time, the prequel era Jedi Council is super against any attachment. And I think that that points to them not having a good understanding of, A, the influences that we're talking about here, and B, the point of that idea in the first place. Whereas Qui-Gon understands maybe the balance of that better that you're talking about, where he does have a level of compassion. He cares about Obi-Wan. He cares about little Anakin in that movie. He cares about Shmi. And so there are those connections, but he knows how to disassociate them. Whereas Luke didn't get that training, and we'll go back and say that maybe Yoda wasn't that good of a teacher. He taught Jedi for 800 or 850 years, but no one understood what he meant when he said do or do not, there is no try. So like, why didn't you explain what you meant by that? So maybe Yoda wasn't the best teacher. And again, especially I'm getting this much more from the High Republic era where they have a much more healthy concept in my mind, a healthy concept of this connection and these balances where you're a Jedi Padawan, you pass your trials, you make it to Jedi Knight, you get a Padawan and you form this attachment, but then that Padawan is going to go on and pass their trials and become a Jedi Knight. So it's teaching you, make those connections, but then be able to disassociate from those connections in order to achieve this balance, in order to have this greater connection to the Force, and to understand how to let go if and when you have to. Your Padawan's going to leave, you're going to have to let go. Maybe Luke didn't learn that very well, but like what you're saying, the Jedi preached Lack of connection, but it was this connection that saved the universe. It saved Anakin. It was Luke's connection to Anakin and Anakin's connection to Luke that saved them and saved the galaxy. So, something that Luke didn't understand the idea of because he wasn't taught well, I think something that Qui Gon understood very well, which is why people love him and it's why he's one of the greatest Jedi and it's why he's the first one that is able to make the connection to the living force after death. Yoda has lived at that point for almost 900 years and Qui-Gon in the Clone Wars contacts Yoda after death and Yoda thinks that it's impossible. So in Yoda's long lifetime, he's never seen it. So Qui-Gon is such the exemplary Jedi or the idea of that, that he's the first one to form this connection with the Force after death.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting that we do see different visions of what a perfect Jedi looks like and that Qui-Gon's a perfect Jedi, but he's on this sort of detached side of things. I always found Qui-Gon a little bit boring.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> Listen, stay with us, listeners. Keep oh, no, listening. I'll shut
1: it off. <laughs> uh, whereas, you know, in some sense, like the human quality, the relatability comes in with like the emotion of, of certain things. In some ways, Qui-Gon feels so different than how I imagine myself to operate in life, you know, perhaps like a little bit more unrelatable. I also think maybe one vision of, you know, who the perfect Jedi is, is Luke, who is guided by his sort of emotional intuition a bit more than, say, Qui-Gon. I also think that the sequel trilogy, at least in The Last Jedi, does have this thesis about love, right? So Rose says at one point, we don't have to like fight what we hate, we can fight for what we love. That love is this mm-hmm. motivation. Rose is not necessarily someone who is exemplary of the Force or of Jedi. But I do think that that in general does suggest that there is some sort of benefit to love, emotion, attachment. And that we might even see Ray's sort of weird connection to Kylo Ren is ultimately what saves them. And that like the idea of total detachment is maybe this old Jedi idea of total light side. Whereas, You know, as we're talking about this idea of the force of balance, of the yin-yang, of that you need both, perhaps the rigid kind of adherence to the idea of the light side of detachment, of mental calmness and clarity, was itself what allowed the Jedi to be kind of controlled by the dark side without realizing it, that they were not balanced.
0: And I think that those concepts were made more toxic, especially from what we know by the prequel trilogy era Jedi Council, which, as we learn later, were maybe corrupted by the dark side. Maybe Yoda just uses that as an excuse.
1: Yeah, so one, I think, thing that I've never understood about the Star Wars universe is that on the one side, you need balance. For the light side, there needs to be dark. For the dark side, there needs to be light. As the light side rises, so the dark to meet it. As the dark side rises, so the light to meet it. Influenced by this Taoist idea of balance, that any dualistic idea that light is better than dark is itself problematic. And yet the structure of these movies is always the light side triumphing over the dark, or the light side fighting the dark and trying to succeed. And in some ways, I've always interpreted that as a clash between kind of a Taoist worldview governed by balance and a Buddhist worldview that's governed by the goal of transformation from ignorance and suffering towards awakening and enlightenment. And maybe I mm-hmm. highlight the enlightenment side of the light side there. <laughs> So Buddhism aims at this total transformation, at least certain forms of it. Zen might be slightly different. But this is sort of like a fundamental thing about the Star Wars universe I've always wondered about. And maybe you have a take on that.
0: Yeah, it's something that we all wonder about. The balance of the force, according to George Lucas, refers more towards the purity of the force. So the light side free of the dark side, which is why the light needs to triumph. I think George Lucas has said it's like toxins in the body. Your body just functions better without the toxins. You're healthier, you're maybe more balanced. Like exactly what you said with the muddy pools in your mind, right? The mud is the dark side, and you exist more balanced when you can clear that out. However, I love this explanation, but there are some maybe hypocrisies with it and other aspects of Star Wars canon. That's right, listeners, said the C word. There's the personal balance of Jedi practice to be in better connection with the Force, and then there's galactic balance. So are you familiar with the animated Clone Wars series?
1: I watched that as a child. I remember watching it with my brother one summer, I think probably between like fifth or sixth grade or something like that, and being really into it. That said, I think I do not have much specific memory of any plot (laughs) points. I remember the animation style.
0: Well, you've opened up a can of worms and I will try not to speak too long. So in The Clone Wars, there was an episode or a series of episodes about the gods of Mortis. And the gods of Mortis were physical representations of the force. There was the brother who was the dark side, the sister who was the light side, and then the third party, the father, keeping them in balance. And so as George Lucas has said... Balance refers to the purity of the force. I don't think this really jives with that since the father was keeping his children in balance, that he didn't want to kill the the sun, the dark side, in order for the light side to be the dominant force. Then in Star Wars Rebels, there's something like the Bendu, which is a creature or species that can exist in the middle, not the light side, not the dark side, but somewhere in the middle. So there's a lot of asterisks, I think, at the end of the statement, balances about the light side winning. That's probably more confusing now that you've heard me talk about it. I also would argue that the Sith want balance As they would define it, the Jedi are defining balance as the light side dominating the Sith or the dark side wielders would want balance as the dark side winning because they believe that that's the only path to balance, to peace, to order, and to true power. Again, balance is maybe this like, balance is in the eye of the beholder kind of Mm -hmm. thing, which again is a balance in itself. You need that dichotomy as we were talking about, like how to write a story. You need both. You need each to meet each other in order for things to continue and maybe that's like a universal concept like the cosmic force understands the cosmic force just understands it all right there's going to be light side and sometimes light side will win there will be dark side and sometimes dark side will win and that is the cosmic balance there's also something i think is really interesting and i'd love to hear your take on this because as you were talking you were describing the differences of Buddhism and Taoism. So it sounds like Buddhism, your connection to living things, to your living self, connecting and understanding living things. That's the idea of the living force. And it sounds like Taoism is more of this maybe universal or in terms of Star Wars galactic idea. And that relates more to the cosmic force.
1: There's so much you know, to think about here. And again, this is part of what makes Star Wars interesting is that there's this sort of ambiguities built into the system, which makes it eminently (laughs) debatable, right? Right. I don't think any of us would be as interested if it was like clear and cut and dry and it made sense. Sure. Like all of us can have a sense where like you'll have moments where you're like, I get it. But if you ask to put it into words or someone brings up some example from some other movie, you're like, Oh, yeah. I don't know how to work with that.
0: That's how I live my life. Yeah, go ahead.
1: (laughs) But it's, you know, it's always in process and it always requires interpretation. And that's that's fun because, like, I think a good piece of art will require the interpretation and participation of the audience. It needs us to make sense of it. We're part of it. Um, which I think is often how I'm trying to teach my students how to read religious texts, that they're not just there to, you know, be pretty and set out an entire system, but they're meant to be sort of engaged with, to to, to be debated, to be interpreted in different ways. I do think that I, I still don't understand this explanation of the dark side and the light side. <laughs> and I think that that, for me, comes from a fundamental uh, conflating of two things. So in Taoism, the idea of yin and yang, dark and light, feminine and masculine, warm and cold, summer and winter, all of these things, the one dichotomy that you never put on that is good and evil. Mm. You know, that's, that's not what it is. These are just sort of opposing forces. Neither is good nor bad. They're just sort of different and opposite. And when they come together, they make up everything. Whereas in Star Wars, light side and dark side really do map onto good and evil in a certain sense. And so on the one hand, they're using these like natural metaphors, the flower grows and the flower dies. It provides food for animals who grow and they die and they provide food, you know, this cycle where there's no good or bad, it's just a cycle. And so it seems like there's this fundamental ambiguity over whether the dark side and the light side are good and evil, or whether they're opposite but complementary forces like life and death, sun and darkness, without the good and evil comparison. And I think both interpretations are supported at different moments, and, you know, all of it just makes it good fodder for debate. So the fundamental, I would say, bang for your buck, if you want to understand Buddhism, one fundamental insight of the Buddhist first that leads to everything else is impermanence. And impermanence is the idea that nothing lasts forever. Things come into existence, they exist for a while, and they pass out of existence. Nothing lasts forever, and part of our fundamental ignorance about the world is that we think that things are permanent. We think that ourselves are permanent. And by virtue of thinking that things are permanent, we think that we can be happy if we have them. By virtue of thinking of ourselves as permanent and independent, we separate ourselves from others. We consider ourselves the center of the universe. We do all of these kind of negative things because we fail to recognize that everything's impermanent. And a natural consequence of this impermanence is interdependence. If nothing's permanent and independently existing, it means everything is dependently existing. Everything is connected to everything else, which is idea talked about in this idea of the living force, that fundamentally there is no ultimate separation between me and you, between me and this water bottle, between me and the sort of natural world. There is this idea that everything is interconnected, and the fundamental problem is not recognizing that fact conceptually Mm. separating yourself from that. Similarly, Taoism thinks that the force or the Tao is everywhere. And it is only human arrogant conceptuality which sees humans as separate from the natural world. And humans often want to see themselves as above the natural world. Really, we're just a small part in a world that's much bigger than us. That is, again, inherently interconnected. And both of them use a lot of these nature metaphors to think about, you know, what human's place in the world is. One place where... Taoism in particular thinks about this, I think connects to the idea of the living force in particular, is that, so? okay, so there's this sort of cosmic order to things, this cosmic flow. Maybe we could say that that's the cosmic force. But then within that, that energy itself that makes up the Tao can be harnessed by individuals. And in that form, it's known as qi. The idea of balancing your qi or enhancing the power of your qi. Qi Gong is a practice that some people might have heard of. Taoism does have all of these practices of learning how to harness the way that the Tao moves through the world, in qi in particular. You can kind of build up your capacity to manipulate qi or make use of it.
0: Yes, that is also the crux of Star Wars.
1: So one thing about, you know, thinking about these religious traditions together, that is made hard by the way that we think about religion in America is that we tend to think of religion of if you're one, you're not another. So if you're Christian, you're by definition, not a Muslim. If you are Jewish, you are by definition, not a Christian.
0: Right, exactly.
1: Whereas that is not necessarily an idea present in Asian religions. There's this saying in Chinese, and I'm going to totally butcher it, but it's the idea that people are Confucians during the week, Daoists on the weekends, and Buddhists when they die. And that you can be all of these things all of the Mm. time, because they are just of perspectives on reality. They help you do kinds of different things at different moments. And also most people aren't doing the philosophy stuff most of the time. For most people, what religious practice is, to the extent that they practice it, is you know making offerings at temples, contacting a Buddhist priest who can do funeral rites when a loved one dies, perhaps doing qigong to try to increase your health by increasing your qi. These things were not necessarily seen as mutually incompatible at all they would have been deeply in conversation with one another at most times in history. You can see these things sort of, you know, mixed up together as they would have been in Lucas's understanding of them. Right. You know, because he was reading books that saw these different varieties of religious teaching as ultimately describing one universal thing. And also, you know, he's really influenced by samurai movies and in Japan in particular, which gets kind of influences of Fusionism, Taoism, Buddhism, mixes them all up, combines them with sort of indigenous, what we might call Shinto. And so it reflects the fact that all of these ideas were kind of mixed up and not considered separate in either the Japanese context that gave rise to these samurai movies or in the religious studies scholarship that Lucas was reading.
0: Right. All of these things meshing and then Lucas using them to create this world. Uh, the biggest thing here for me is this world is constantly getting bigger and bigger, going deeper and deeper into this conversation, learning more and more about all of these influences and connections. Just like I said before, it's really, it really enhances my love and appreciation for it. I want to sit down and watch all this stuff again. I always look for an excuse to sit down and go through every single thing Star Wars. But the more I'm learning, I I keep learning, I've recently been introduced into this community of Star Wars podcasters. They're teaching me more and more things, all these different perspectives. And now this, the influences, tracing back the why and how, really enhance my love and understanding and appreciation of this story, of this world, of the galaxy. So we talked about you being introduced to Star Wars when you were a kid and being a fan of Star Wars and you're, you and your brother shooting memes back and forth. I want to know if your involvement in this world, if your education and teachings in these religions has influenced your appreciation of Star Wars.
1: I would say definitely it has. You know, so in your last comment, you said that hearing about all of this makes you want to go watch the movies again, which I love. And I think also just speaks to What I think the value of studying something, you know, related to a piece of art that you really love is it gives you this like new perspective and new questions that you can go back to the thing that you already love and see it in a new way. For me, those like different layers of meaning are so additive. Each time I learn something new or I hear a new perspective and I go back and rewatch and it just like adds all together to be this like beautiful symphony of meanings that just continually gets enriched. I would say that that's one of the things that keeps me coming back to Star Wars. There's lots of movies that I love, but once you've seen them a couple times, you've you've kind of seen them a couple times. The fact that Star Wars takes a really big swing at the meaning of life or the structure of reality or how one should live an ethical and meaningful life in this world, it arguably bites off a lot more than it can chew. (laughs) We might say that some of our questions are related to the fact that within the universe, if there's not like a clear answer, Uh but the fact that it really goes for it and has theories makes it so perfect for this kind of discussion of debating and saying, well, maybe it's influenced by this or maybe it's influenced by that. You know, we didn't even get into talking about like how Hinduism influences Star Wars. People have written about that. It just, to me, makes it more fun. It it, it makes connections. Yeah. You just like keep talking about it forever.
0: Forever and ever. It makes connections between our world and that world, but it makes, it connects me when I learn stuff like this. It connects me so much more with the characters in the universe and all that stuff. I've been thinking this whole time about our conversation in terms of Star Wars, but I think we need to do another one of these and have a conversation about Avatar The Last Airbender, which is one of my favorite TV shows of all time, and introduced me to a lot of the concepts that you were just discussing this whole time.
1: All about religion and speculative fiction. Happy to be a religion correspondent. Yes,
0: perfect. <laughs> the religious correspondent on Krypton to Alderaan. I love that. Kate, I have a surprise question for you, unless there's anything else you want to add to our discussion.
1: We'll save it for future religion correspondent segment, I suppose. <laughs>
0: My surprise question for you, Kate, is what is your favorite Star Wars?
1: And you know what? And why? I'm going to go The Last Jedi, even though I know it's controversial. Oh, my
0: goodness. You're really stirring the pot here. Yeah, go ahead.
1: <laughs> and that's the funny thing is, you know, people will present to me criticisms of The Last Jedi, and I agree with a lot of them. <laughs> you know, people say, oh, the, the stuff on the casino planet was unnecessary. I'm like, yeah, I didn't love that. You know, Leia flying out and then flying back in. I didn't need any of that. The whole sort of Oscar Isaac plot, the Poe plot to me could have been solved by simple conversation. That's all
0: the plots you're describing, all of them.
1: (laughs) Basically every plot, but the ones that involve Luke, Rey, and Kylo are to me, whatever, they're there. But the fact that it really does offer this new perspective on the the idea of the dark and the light side, the incredible acting of Adam Driver, Mm is fun and, and just continuing to focus on Luke. I mean, I think that part of why the series was so compelling is that Luke is this compelling character and getting another chance to look at how his life continued and in particular, I mean, the, the thing that strikes me most is that moment of doubt where... Luke realizes that Kylo has been influenced by the dark side, wants to react in anger and perhaps kill him. The look in Kylo's eyes where he sees that Luke has done this, the fact that Luke lets this moment pass, realizes that it was this instant bad decision, but that the effects of that work through, just like that, to me, enables me to forgive so many other sins that that movie committed. And I also just love Ryan Johnson. He directed music videos for The Mountain
0: Goats. Oh, wow. I did not know that.
1: Yeah, he and... uh. Uh, John Darnielle of the Mountain Goats. And for listeners, um, this is my personal favorite band. I know, Joey, you listen to them as well. So any Mountain Goats connection is going to be raise your stock in my book.
0: <laughs> awesome. OK, so, sorry, short follow up question. Would you say that that the scene that you just described that elevates the movie to this point of being your favorite, would you say that there are connections there? Are there any connections to Buddhism or Taoism or any Asian religions that that you make in that instance when you're watching it?
1: I mean, it almost speaks to me of this idea of, like, karma, that these sort of momentary actions sort of ripple through time in terms of their effects, even though Luke basically only had this moment of fear and doubt, one that was reflective of something that was within him, that perhaps he he thought he had controlled but clearly had not, and that ripples out into the future to shape all of these events. To me, it just seemed just an emotionally sort of raw and honest moment that talked about the way that human psychology really is kind of deeply, deeply committed to misperceiving things, reacting in fear and anger, and that that's really, really hard to get rid of. And that Luke, I think, realized that he thought too highly of himself, that when he took on all of these students, he was like, I'm going to start a school. I have all this stuff going for me. I know how to teach students. And in the wake of this, he realized, he has one of these moments of like, oh, I, I misunderstood the whole situation. And that's part of why he's so reluctant to teach Ray is that he's put back in this position of like, I don't know what I need to know. Ironically, that is what makes him a good teacher of Ray, being in that state of not knowing anything.
0: Awesome. Well, that's all I've got. Thank you so much, Kate, for joining me today and talking about this. Tell people where they can find your course or where they can hear more of you. Tell us about your podcast, point people in that direction.
1: Yeah, so if you want to take my future Star Wars and religion course that still needs to pass the (laughs) approval committees, and I'm sure they'll have lots of questions about why I'm teaching Star Wars, come and enroll in the University of Wyoming. Laramie is beautiful. For more accessible means, I tweet at Kate A. Hart, K-A-T-E, letter A, -A H-A-R-T. I also run an organization called Buddhist Studies Online that has accessible, affordable, and high-quality courses in Buddhist History, philosophy, and practices. It is a scholarly organization. We are not teaching Buddhism. We are not expecting people to convert to Buddhism or practice Buddhism. But if folks are interested, and one of the ways people get interested in knowing more about the influences on Star Wars, you can check that out at Buddhist Studies Online. Through that, we have the Buddhist Studies podcast, in which I interview uh, scholars of Buddhism and hear more about what they've been working on and some of the teaching that they have been doing. So we try to make it really accessible for folks who have any or no Buddhist knowledge experience or practice.
0: Right. Well, to that point, we've laid a good foundation here today, I think.
1: One last thing is, um, so there's a YouTube channel called Religion for Breakfast, and they actually have a great video about Star Wars canon. You mentioned that this was the C word about this idea of canon, (laughs) and I, I really recommend it. But I also wrote a series of just intro to Buddhism videos for that channel that are going to be released soon.
0: Oh, wow. Very Um, cool. And so if you
1: want a YouTube-sized 15-minute chunk of what's Buddhism all about, check that out. I wrote those episodes, and the channel host records videos about them.
0: Awesome. And what's that called again?
1: Religion for Breakfast.
0: That's great. Thank you so much, Kate. Really appreciate you being here today and talking about this. And hopefully we will do a follow-up. I would love to talk more about this stuff with you.
1: Yeah, definitely. I am around whenever
0: Star Wars is to be talked about. Well, everyone, I hope you really enjoyed this conversation and I hope it sheds some new light on the subject. Please follow Kate and check out her podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, reach out with your feelings. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Krypton to alderaan. You could pew-pew us an email at kryptontoalderaan at gmail.com. You can also find us on YouTube. So give us a subscribe, like some videos, leave some comments. And finally, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I've been Joey, and I'll see you on the next episode.